Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, who is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is God's word. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word that was spoken to us and for the gift of music that we can come before you in worship and song. Um, I pray that those things prepared our hearts to hear from your word today, and I just pray that um, we would be open to what you have to say to us, Lord, that you would uh, foster within us a spirit of humility and acceptance, and that um, through your word you would just show us ever more how great and vast and powerful is your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be here again. I haven't uh, done this for a while, so this is nice, except at youth on Friday nights, but that's a little different. Um, But we're in our last sermon of the series, our Easter series called What If It's True? And we've talked about um, what if it's true that Jesus Christ died? What if it's true that he was raised? And today, as Melissa told you, we're going to talk about what if it's true that he rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven and is seated, as our passage said, at the right hand of God. And I don't know about you guys, but Easter is one of my favorite times of year. I think that I just love spring. Uh, Dave made fun of me the other day because I basically said that I love the smell of mud. Um, I, I just love the newness of life that spring brings, and then we get to celebrate Easter, which is all about the newness of life that Christ has bought for us on the cross. And so Easter is one of my favorite holidays. But um, today I'm going to start you with a story from a different holiday, a Christmas story. But I promise that it, it makes sense, it'll work. 
Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I think I have a pretty big family. I have three siblings, three brothers. So there are six of us in total. If you're Dutch, that's not a very big family. Like I'm Dutch, so for us, we have a small Dutch family. But for the rest of us, six people is a pretty big family. And so since I was a kid, my parents have tried to foster in uh, my brothers and I this sense of generosity. And so they've encouraged us from a young age to buy gifts at Christmas for our siblings. And when you're a kid, this is a lot of fun because you get a lot of gifts. But then as you get older and your brothers want more expensive things, it's not as fun. So my parents also, as we got older, decided to foster within each of us a sense of uh, financial responsibility and stewardship. And so we ended up not buying presents anymore for everyone in my family, but instead decided we would pick the name of one person in our family and just buy them a gift. And so we did this for several years and it was quite fun. We wanted to spice things up. So we did things to just make it a little bit more exciting. We would keep it a secret whose name we had. So we never knew and we played tricks on each other um, for weeks before trying to make someone think that we had their name when we didn't or we try to guess and we think we knew we had or someone had our name and then Christmas morning comes and we were totally wrong. Um, or we do other things like sneakily uh, wrap presents in ways that were confusing. So for example, one year my brother wanted a new winter jacket, um, but I couldn't really afford a $200, $300 winter jacket. So instead I got him a gift card to, you know, contribute to that a little bit. And I wrapped this gift card in a little envelope and stick it in the cupboard. And then I take a huge box from something my parents had bought um, that was in the recycling and I put some tissue paper in it, and in that box, I put a smaller box, and in that box, a smaller box, and a smaller box, until when he finally gets to the end, it's this one small little ring jewelry box, and he opens it, and there's a little scroll of paper that says, ha ha, it's in the cupboard, go find it. <laughs> or another year, I just took whatever I had bought, and I wrapped it in newspaper, since you know we try to spin things up, but we definitely want to be eco-friendly. So newspaper, and then lots of tape, and then newspaper, and lots of tape. So it took my brother like 20 minutes to actually get his gift. So we'd make our, our gift giving a little bit more fun. And one year, my youngest brother gets my name. And I didn't know this, obviously, at the time. I didn't find out till the morning of. But he gets my name. And I had made super sure that my entire family knew that that year I wanted slippers for Christmas. And not just any slippers, but beautiful moccasin slippers. Because I love slippers. I don't know if you know me, but I rarely do not have something on my feet. I have really bad feet, and I love slippers just because they're so comfy and fluffy on the inside. But I was 27, so I needed like some sophisticated slippers. So I wanted moccasin slippers. And it comes to Christmas morning, and I, I get the last gift that's under the tree that has my name on it. And it's about the size of a shoebox. I'm like, oh, I haven't got my slippers yet. Like, this is it. And I'm opening the box, and I take up some tissue paper, and inside are these. <laughs> and I sit there, and I look at these slippers for a second, and then I look at my brother with, like, a smirk, and he's smiling at me, and I'm like, oh, okay, I have two options right now. I can be super excited and not hurt my brother's feelings, or I can be like, what are you? doing these are not what I asked for so I chose to try and be nice and did the first thing and I was like oh look these are great and he's like yeah yeah you like them and I was like 
Uh, yeah, yeah, they're so fluffy. <laughs> and he says, oh, I'm really glad you like them. I spent so long looking for them. And I look at him, and I look back at them, and I'm like, I need to find something else to look at, because I'm going to, like, oh, I can't look at my brother in the eye. He'll know I'm lying. And then he says, you're really sure you like them? And I said, well, yeah, like, I wanted slippers. And he pulls out from behind him a little bag, and out of the bag, he pulls a pair of moccasin slippers. And he says, you're sure you don't want these ones? And at this point, I'm really confused. <laughs> I look at him again, and I say, whoa, what? <laughs> and so once again, I think in my head, Paige, you two options. You can keep going with this story, and no one will know that you were faking. At least, they won't be able to confirm it by any way. <laughs> or you can admit that really you want the moccasin slippers, and you'll end up being happier if you choose that option. So I chose the, the latter option, and I decided to be honest, and I said, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I don't really want these fluffy, as cute as they are, you know? Uh, I don't want these fluffy bare feet slippers. I want the moccasins. And so he's like, cool, I actually had a gift receipt or a receipt for these ones. I was planning to return them anyways. It's all a joke. And I was like, har, har, that's great. And so I got the moccasin slippers. I got what I had ended up hoping for but not necessarily in the way that I expected. Um, and I tell you this story not to enlighten you into the Christmas antics of my crazy family, but to make a point, and that is that sometimes we hope for things, but we don't always get them in the way we expect. And in our passage today, our passage was written to a community who was expecting something, but didn't quite get it in the way that they expected. I don't know if you remember, um, last week when Tony was talking, he told the story about Mary Magdalene and how when um, Jesus had died, she went to the tomb a few days later to go and anoint his body for burial. And when she got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away and inside his linen clothes, his burial clothes were lying there, but the body was gone. Mary did not find what she expected to find. And she was actually really disappointed because
two disciples were walking on a road to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking, and they heard the stories that Jesus had been seen alive. And they're talking about all this with one another. And then little do they know it, but Jesus actually meets them on the road. But they, too, do not recognize him. And he asks them, ladies, what have you been talking about? And they say, here. Sometimes it doesn't look or feel like victory. We struggle with sin and we get hurt in relationships. There's still war and famine and death and we ask God in the midst of all this, Lord, where is your kingdom? Where is what we have hoped for? So I wonder if the same thing that was true for Mary and the disciples back then is actually true for us today. What if it is true? What if Christ is reigning? What if what we're hoping for really has happened, is happening now over and over again? What if the kingdom of God is here right now? What if Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God? What if Jesus is the king and this is his kingdom? If that's true, then I want to propose a few things to you this morning. That first, like Mary and the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we're going to need Jesus' help to see it. We're going to need God's wisdom and revelation to help us see what is right in front of us. Because when we look at the world, it's hard to see how God is at work. But if we ask him for wisdom and revelation, he will show it to us. I think this is why in our reading today, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We need God himself to give us wisdom and revelation. Wisdom to see that his ways are different than ours. We sang this morning, you are perfect in all of your ways. And we also prayed, give me faith to trust what you say. We need revelation to see how our God is at work. We need wisdom and revelation to understand the unexpected work of God in our midst. Not because God just doesn't want us to see it, not because he's trying to hide things from us per se, but just because he does things differently because he is God. We are not even in the same category as him. In fact, no one is in the same category as God. He is completely other. He is the only one in his category because he is the only God. And so, of course, his ways would be different than ours. But in the cross, Tony talks about how we can see that though they are different, and sometimes they even seem like defeat, they are good and perfect and actually victorious. Because in the cross, God turns the darkest symbol of the Roman Empire, a symbol of suffering, of betrayal, of death, into one of glory, into the redemption of suffering, the forgiveness of sins, and into new life. We need God's Spirit to reveal His work to us. I came across this poem the other day uh, during my reading, and it was written by someone who was in a very dark place. It was written um, on a wall in the Auschwitz uh, concentration camp, and I want to read it for you. It says, There is grace, though, and wonder on the way. Only they are hard to see, hard to embrace for those compelled to wander in darkness. If we are compelled to wander in darkness, if we refuse to ask God to show us the light, then we probably won't see it. But if we have hope and wonder, if we believe that hope and wonder are on the way, not only on the way actually, but already here, because Christ is reigning right now, and we need to ask God to show it to us. Because it is hard to see the kingdom when we're walking in times of darkness. But if we ask God to reveal his kingdom to us, we will begin to see that he is at work here and now. That he is reigning. Not fully, but the effects of, the, of Christ's victory on the cross and his resurrection felt on the earth today, even 2,000 years later. It's something that uh, we in the church call the already but not yet of the kingdom. I don't know if you've heard of this phrase. Um, I go to theology schools, so we talk about it a lot. But I wanted to try to explain this concept to you of the, the this belief that we know we are in the kingdom of God now, but it hasn't yet come in its fullness. We have foretastes of the kingdom but obviously, it's not completely here because there are still these dark things we struggle with. And so the analogy, actually, I was talking with Pastor VJ about this, and the analogy um, that he kind of shared with me is one of a battle. And I thought, well, no better epic battle to try and illustrate this to you with than Lord of the Rings. And this made my fiancé very happy because 
he loves Lord of the Rings. And in fact, he spent two and a half hours playing a Lord of the Rings card game the other night. Super nerdy. <laughs> but I love Lord of the Rings because, well, first of all, Tolkien was a believer, so it's no wonder that his faith built into his work. But I love it because it's an epic story of good versus evil. And there is some parts of this story that illustrate this idea of the already but not yetness of the kingdom of God. Because if you know, if you don't know the story of Lord of the Rings, I'm spoiling it for you, I'm gonna warn you now, but it's been out for like over 10 years. So <laughs> I feel like it's safe for me to do this. Um, but if, if you're angry, I'm, I apologize, and you should just go read the book or watch the movies, they're good too. Um, but so in this, this series, The Lord of the Rings, there is this dark Lord, his name is Sauron, and he uh, is trying to take over this place called Middle Earth. And he has a ring, that is tied to him. This ring is kind of like the source of his power in a way. And so if the ring is destroyed, then he would be destroyed. And somehow through a series of events, he gets separated from his almighty powerful ring. And um, a little man named Frodo, a hobbit, he is, he's like a, hobbits are short people with really hairy feet. <laughs> I don't know how he came up with that one. But so this little hobbit named Frodo finds this ring and he and some of his uh, friends are tasked with the task of destroying the ring in order to destroy the power of Sauron. Because if Sa this ring is not destroyed, then Sauron will um, overcome all of Middle-earth and darkness will just cover every area of it. And so Frodo and his friends uh, start making the trek to Mordor uh, where this ring needs to be destroyed. See, this ring was created in um, the fire of a volcano called Mount Doom. And so the only way for it to be destroyed is for it to be thrown into that very same fire. And yet the problem with this is that the closer that Frodo and his friends get to destroying the ring, the closer they also get to the guy who wants it in his power. So it's a very uh, dangerous task. And over the course of three books, you'll, you will read all of the toils and trials that these friends go through. Uh, eventually, Frodo and his friend Sam are separated from the rest of their friends, and the rest of their friends go off and are fighting battles against the enemies of Sauron, and Frodo and Sam are trekking to the, mount, the, the peak of Mount Doom to throw this ring in the fire. And in the end, spoiler, Frodo and his friend Sam are successful, and the ring gets thrown into the fire of Mount Doom, and Sauron's power is thwarted. But if you have read the books or watched the movies, you will know that in that moment, all the battles against Sauron's army didn't just end. It wasn't one and done. No. Instead, victory had to be pronounced and proclaimed through all areas of Middle-earth. And battles went on for months and months after, as the armies of Sauron needed to be defeated, as victory and light needed to be to be proclaimed in all corners of Middle-earth. And though I don't know if Tolkien had the intent of writing uh, this story exactly to uh, provide us with the picture of what the kingdom of God is like, but I do think that there are some analogies we can see here. That just because Christ won victory over Satan on the cross once and for all, doesn't mean that there aren't still battles against him and his armies to be fought. Because when victory happens, two things need to hap happen. As once, 
the one or the first one I already said already is victory needs to be proclaimed in every corner of the earth. And the second is this that even once victory is proclaimed, there are some people who uh, may not agree with this. You know, Satan in his pride, he knows that God has won the victory, but he doesn't want that to happen. He says, no, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't. He's prideful and refuses to believe it. And so he continues to wage war against us. Sin continues to wage war against us. And I think even us in our hearts, we can say, yes, I know Christ has won victory for me and I follow him. But sometimes there are even areas of our hearts that we do not yet want Christ to reign in. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we just haven't realized yet that that's a part that we need to surrender to him. So victory can be total, yet not yet fully And we know from scripture that if victory is going to be spread to all the corners of the earth, then it needs to be told. And so I want to propose to you today that the spreading of the victory news to all corners of our earth must begin in the church. That God's reign begins with the church. His kingdom begins in the church. Because if there's one place in that the kingdom of God should be visible, it's the church, isn't it? The place that is supposed to be full of the people who are filled with the very spirit of God and have his wisdom and revelation. Um, there's a writer, his name is Philip Yancey. He's a great Christian writer, and he wrote this book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And in it, he says this, Jesus left few traces of himself on earth. He wrote no books or even pamphlets. A wanderer, he left no home or even belongings that could be enshrined in a museum. He did not marry or settle down and begin a dynasty. Those are things that you would expect of your average king. That he would marry, have plenty of children, and establish his reign through his biological lineage. In a way, God has done this, though. Just not like we would expect. Paul says in our passage today, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the will of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The church is Christ's lineage. Scripture often calls believers the children of God. And so Christ has set up his reign on earth. He is establishing his kingdom and he is doing it through his adopted children, the church. Some of us can see this because God has made it visible to us. We have asked his spirit to give us wisdom and revelation, but to other people, it may still be hidden in darkness. But we in the church know that the kingdom is here, don't we? Amen. <laughs> because, why? Because, I don't know about you guys, since you've been here, I hope you've experienced some of these things. 
Um, I've experienced them probably um, mostly in our prayer nights. But there has been healing, victory over generational sin, freedom from bitterness. In this church, we have seen hearts renewed and new life given. We have seen the kingdom of God at work. And every week we come and we hear grace and love and justice preached. We have seen God moving in our midst. So how do we know that this is true? How do we know that Christ has risen and is ascended and is sitting at the right hand of God? Because of what God is doing in and through the church. Because the church is a place where the light of Christ should shine forth into the world. Yancey, um, in his book, tells a, like a really, he makes a really cool metaphor of this, so I wanted to read it for you. He said, that was God's design. The law and the prophets focused like a beam of light on Jesus, the one who was to come. And now that light, as if hitting a prism, fractures and shoots out in a human spectrum of waves and colors. Ever since the ascension, Jesus has sought other bodies in which to begin again the life he lived on earth. Jesus said to those around him, the kingdom of God is in your midst, meaning that within him was the kingdom of God. And so if we have the spirit of Jesus living within us, the church is the kingdom of God in the midst of the world. Does this mean, though, that we have to be perfect? Because I think that's a, that's a big responsibility to carry on our shoulders, that we are God's kingdom, his light in the world. But if you were here uh, during our Christmas series, Pastor BJ um, did something really cool that I think is a powerful image for this. He lit a candle and turned off all the lights in here. And could you see that candle? Could you see it? Yeah. Was it a big candle? No. So do we have to be the strongest or know our ideas of the perfect or most holy no even the smallest light is powerful in darkness and not only this but Paul says in our passage that we have within us the same power that raised Christ from the dead an incomparably great power he says that is the same power as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, fall above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. Let that sink in for a second. Let it sink in that you have within you, by the Spirit of God, the power to make dead things Come alive. Amen. What if it's true? What if it's true? I'll tell you what happens if this is true. If this is true, if Christ has risen and ascended to the throne, and the church is his body, in this passage it says we are the very fullness of God, then there is victory here, not just for us, but also through us. And so there are two things that come out of this that we need to do. The first is we need to be the, we need to see the light. As I said, we need wisdom and revelation. And so if you are here today and you are struggling to see the light, 
Maybe you aren't convinced yet about Jesus. Maybe you're on the fence. Or maybe you're just going through a dark time and it's been really hard for you to see how God is at work in your circumstance. I want to ask you, would you pray to God to give you his spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you could see who he is and how he is at work? Can pray this prayer lord send me your spirit to give me wisdom and revelation so that my eyes would be open to you that i would know you and then once we've seen the light we need to be the light and this is also has two parts the first is this we need to ask ourselves where is the darkness within myself that i need god to bring his light into what are areas of my life that I have not yet surrendered to the reign of Christ? Is there a sin that I just haven't dealt with, a relationship I've left broken? Am I struggling with guilt or shame or bitterness, maybe even fear? Where is there darkness within you that you desperately need God's light to shine into? And then second, you need to ask yourself, where is the light outside or darkness outside of me that God is calling me to be light in? Church, where is God calling us to be light in darkness? To bring his kingdom, to pronounce his favor and victory. One practical thing that you can do this week is uh, take part in an initiative that Upper Room is doing to bring light into darkness. In our home groups this week, we are um, going to be watching a documentary on human sex trafficking and praying about this issue in our world and then making first response bags to give to women who have been rescued out of the sex trade. And these uh, bags are our small attempts to give dignity and give light to women who have come from a lot of dark places. That is just one way. So if you, you can look in your bulletins, there's an insert in there that tells you all the information about that and the contact of some of our home group leaders. But that is just one way that this week you can be the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you died for us and you rose again and that that showed that you have victory over sin and death and Satan. And I thank you that your ascension demonstrates to us that you are reigning even now, Lord, and that you are the head of the church, the very fullness of God. And as we've sung this morning and talked about that we can trust that your ways are holy and good. And I just pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, to see you when um, there's darkness that just seems to be invading our vision. I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, and that you would ignite in us a fire, a light, and a passion to be the church in the world, to have your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Unlike uh, my story with the slippers, God's unexpected ways in our world are not a joke. They are real, they are true, they are powerful, and we don't need to look at them and be ashamed that we didn't realize it. Instead, we can shout for joy because Christ has gained the victory, because Christ 
is seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. He is risen and ruling. Will you proclaim that to all ends of the earth, first in your own heart and then out there? May you do that as you go.